2: everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with PK all the way from Tucson. How are you, PK? Oh, I'm just absolutely fabulous.
1: It's a beautiful day, <laughs> the light breeze, all that fun stuff. Ooh, can't uh-huh. ask for more than this. Good. That's good. Well, the leaves are
2: changing here, and it's not freezing cold Mm -hmm. at the moment, so that's all good. I'm happy to report that. So (laughs) tonight, (laughs) well, before we get into tonight's show, but I just want to mention we've got a great friend and a great guest on for tonight's show, and this is a very, very spooky, deep kind of dive we're going to be doing tonight into the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders, but before we go there, I just wanted to remind everybody, PK is back in the saddle again. If you would like a numerology reading, please reach out to her. She's all set and ready to go and tell you what to expect for your coming year. So don't hesitate to get a hold of her. You can reach her through SupernaturalGirls.com or PatriciaKirkman.com. And we have lots and lots of health products. On our supernaturalgirls.com website So go there and check them out They all come with discounts For our listeners So go ahead and take a look One of my favorite products are the liquid vitamins now, Let me tell you, I am so tired Of pills and capsules It's like, ooh, can't do it anymore So the liquids They taste really pretty good And it's easy I don't have to worry about choking On these capsules and pills anymore mm-hmm. So take a look there's lots of stuff there. We have the laser watch. We have the air energy device. We've got things for spas, things for personal use. It's all there on the homepage of Supernatural Girls. So tonight we have a show that is, I don't know, it's, I don't even know how to describe it because usually we don't go into true crime. But the reason we're going into true crime is because of the paranormal elements that are involved with this crime. It's a very disturbing crime. I'm going to give everybody a trigger warning. This is something that I know they made a recent docudrama about on Hulu called, um, what was it, something about the ashes? Um, But Mm anyway, there's been a lot written about it. We were introduced to this crime by Renee Barnett, again, a dear friend, She is a sister podcaster from Night Vision and also a television producer, a movie producer, and from Oklahoma. And so we're going to bring her on the show right now. And then, PK, I'm going to hand it over to you to do the numbers of this crime, because this is what you did several years ago. Mm. When we had a show, I know Renee did part one. She did all the investigative uh, work and had the investigators themselves on her show. We followed up with a Native American medicine man who trained under Mad Bear Anderson, Michael Bastine. We also had George Lugo with us and we talked about the paranormal aspects and the, the very dark sorcery that was used and the hold it had on everybody related to this crime so let's get renee on with us renee welcome to the show oh thank
3: you it's uh, it's so good to be back as always yes thank you explaining on the on the uh before we went on the air live i i I sort of had to move heaven and earth to be here today but it was so (laughs) important i mean uh you know i first of all uh you know, I, I I love I love being with you guys again, and the other thing is, this is a story uh, that I've just been sort of obsessed with for years and decades and decades and decades now, and starting from the very very day that it happened, and uh, it was it was really prominent in Oklahoma. It was actually probably the most famous murder case ever. Uh, still to this day in Oklahoma, and it caused so much upset and division uh, among the population because there was a lot of disagreement about the suspect. Was he guilty? Was he not guilty? Uh, So it was really wild. And then as it turned out, I was really closely connected in so many ways to the case or to people involved in the case Uh, that it just, you know, weighed on my mind so much that over the years, you know, I just kept uh, looking at everything that was released on it. And then um, two of the OSBI, Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation agents, uh, two brothers, Mike and Dick Wilkerson, wrote a book uh, way back when uh, called Someone Cry for the Children, uh, which, of course, you know, I read as soon as I, was able to get my greasy little paws on it, uh, and uh, my sisters and my mother as well. We were all just caught up with it, but there there were a lot of things. So I I don't know where you want to where you want to start.
2: Um, well, on let's, telling um, the
3: story. I mean, yeah, let, we'll start with a couple
2: things first of all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can go there. But first, I wanted to talk with PK a little bit about the numbers of this, because PK did the the numbers last time when we had the shows that we shared together. And I also want to say, uh, before you go for it, PK, um, this crime, and when you told me about it, Renee, it just left such a mark. I mean, I felt like oh, my God, I can never get this out of my mind now. I mean, you talk about how obsessed you became. I didn't feel necessarily obsessed, but I felt like, oh, my God, I can never forget this, never. This is so horrible that this happened to these three little girls and all of these things that happened around it that were so odd and so, um, so deeply dark. And the poor parents, I mean, I watched the interviews, as I know you did, with the parents, and my heart still breaks for them after all these years. Mm. just awful. Yes. But, but let's get you on PK to talk about the numbers of this. What
1: did you find? Well, at the point in time that this was taking place, the in- the cabin that the girls were in was at eight. And eight deals with authority mm-hmm. and authority figures, but it also is extremely karmic. Eights and fours mm. are always karmic, regardless of whatever takes place. And four deals with the restriction, and eight deals with the authorities that think they're in charge. And I think that the, I'll say the perpetrator of the crime, bless his little pee and heart, his dislike for females was foistered mm. because of his issues with his mother. The father wasn't part of the picture. And he and his mother, I, I want to say that there was like a love-hate that went in there. And he couldn't uh, eliminate the mother figure because he still needed her. And I use the word needed. So he would mm. take his issues with women or the feminist side, children, That was something he felt he could overpower. There had, there was a big draw between he and his mother because she basically withdrew and had the father. So the father was gone. So he blamed her for that. And so they had this love hate situation going on. And then when he became involved with the uh, medicine man was he, what he was taught instead of using it for good, which he could have. He turned it, everything was turned against him. He ended up being overly uh, frustrated by what he couldn't make happen. I think he thought when he got involved with the medicine man that he was going to cure his main issues. And instead, it enhanced what he thought was the, the parts that he could salvage and put together another world for him because he was not doing well with Others, he was kind of a, what kind of called a, a, a brutal in one respect, and yet he would try to be kind in others. so people saw him in a different light all the time. They just couldn't quite understand him because he couldn't understand himself or how he was raised. Anything to do with authority figures totally blew his mind because he wanted to be the one in control. He could control mm. those little girls, but he couldn't control his mother. He it was like he was out a teeter totter, not not sure which end to go first. Does that make mm. sense? It does. I it seems to I,
3: me. I, from, yeah. from what I know of 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 his uh, personal relationships, yeah, his father was absent. His mother was uh, a woman named Ella May Buckskin. And they did have a, a close relationship, but I know he had problems with women. Uh, oh yeah, you know he he was estranged from his wife, time, and this did not come out publicly. The um, the agents held us back just because they didn't want to cause any more pain for this child, but apparently he had uh, molested a child in the family, and I won't Mm -hmm. identify what relationship it was to him. But uh, so we we, we sort of have that. Uh, And, of course, you know, he had other crimes that he had been convicted of that uh, involved young women, and he... You know, was actually an escaped convict at the time mm-hmm. that he committed these crimes. So he, he had, had a know, long fight
1: with his mother, though. And
3: yeah. I, I wouldn't the, doubt that. I would. I wouldn't. That it, makes sense. Yeah, it certainly could have been that way. Yeah. It,
1: when, when yeah, it was yeah, good between really the two of them, he felt safe and secure. If she deviated the least bit from it, then he had to retaliate, and I think that's what he. And I, I don't know whether, if you want to say, possibly he tried to approach his mother in a sexual way and was rebuffed or he used other members of the family to prove to her that he was, shall we say, desirable. Hmm. I mean, of course
3: this is absolutely pure speculation, but maybe she abused him.
1: It's and quite that's that a possibility
3: because the yeah. father was gone. The major
1: yeah. issue, yeah. I take a look at everything, it seems to be the the female is definitely the major issue with him. But, yeah, it could be, the, that makes good sense that it could be just the other way around because yeah. of the father. Yeah, and gone.
3: clues further into the case that show that problem that he had. Um, mm-hmm. But
0: uh, it was just, I mean,
3: all the way around it was such an unusual Case and with unusual elements to it, but uh, you know, of course, initially it was just a murder. You know, it was a it was a, right. a horrible, horrible. I remember the night uh, of the 13th when um, it first came out on the news, and I was actually just leaving Oklahoma in my 10 year old station wagon, headed for Los Angeles going to move to LA oh, and as i was driving through this you know desolate area through like western oklahoma uh and i heard it come up on the radio that there had been a murder of three little girl scouts at camp scott in oklahoma mm-hmm. and of course you know i was just like oh my gosh you know and they kept talking about it you know in each newscast on the radio and you know when i talked to my family you know of course they knew all about it and um it was just uh it was just it, it captured the attention of of, of everyone
2: and mm-hmm. and this is this is back and in 1977 it, too 1977. so this is back right. this is long ago when this is bef- way before all these school shootings that numbed us out and, oh, yeah. you know, this this is a time of life and history when, when things were m- much more
1: innocent. And well, you know, this was strange. so, so oh. totally unexpected. Oh, yeah. It took place in a universal six-year. We're talking about it again, and it is, again, a universal six-year. Oh, wow. this is that, yes. that's an ironic question. six sixteenth for perfection, and it deals with the family issues. But we're going into next sequence. Are going to be no? There's something else that's going to come out about this, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's not next month. I don't know why I'm getting that, but there's something <clears throat> that's going to be pulled out of the rabbit hat. Yeah, oh, that, that would be amazing.
2: Yeah, well, so. Tell us the, the beginning of this also, Renee, because these three little girls each had their own story about getting to the camp. One of them didn't want to go, cried and screamed, said, don't make me go. Well, yeah, she she,
3: she didn't really want to go. Uh, I, I don't know if she was crying and screaming, but she didn't want to go, and then once she got there – she was really upset, and she wanted to call her mother and to come and get her. And the counselor said, okay, well, you know, just, you know, take it easy tonight, and if you're still feeling this upset tomorrow, we'll let you call your mother. And, of course, they didn't make it to tomorrow. But what had happened was, you know, the group of Girl Scouts and their parents all gathered at this church church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, to catch the bus, the buses, or the, uh, to go to Camp Scott. And they arrived, and once they got there, they were all together in this, you know, dining area or some larger area, and they were all allowed to uh, choose their own uh, roommates. And mm-hmm. so they, the, the girls all got chosen up, and there were three little girls that were left over. And that was our three girls. Mm. Um, they didn't know anyone else. And so that's why they didn't get chosen by anyone else. And um, so it was Lori Farmer, uh, Denise Gousset, and, oh, I'm sorry. That's not her first name. The other girl, Michelle. From the stores, Denise Milner. Yeah, Michelle Gousset. And um, so they got together and they went you know to their tent and because they were assigning the tents by number you know the first group got number one and two and so on and so these three little girls were left for the last tent number eight which was the furthest tent away from the counselors and it was at the edge of the camp and right next to the woods right you know next to a big uh wooded area. The whole area is forested and wooded. Uh, And so then what happens was in the night, this one counselor heard some noises and she, uh, when she went up to go to the bathroom, because they had these outdoor, you know, toilets set up, and she heard these noises and she described it as like a growling like a a frenzied animal attack or some kind of a weird growling noise. And so she looked and she looked and she saw a very dim light in the woods and she shined her flashlight toward that and it went off. And then she turned off her light and in moments all of it resumed. She saw the light come back on. She turned on her flashlight again to look and it went off again. She... Ended up finally just going back to her cabin or her tent, and went to bed. And she could hear these noises, you know. And, and and I know in the in the book it was described as you know those grunting, horrible noises just became a part of her, of her dreams. And mm. uh, she just assumed it was you know an animal out there in the woods, uh, you know making noises and you know whatever. So then the next morning, I believe it was the, the, the same counselor gets up and she's only like 19 years old or something, you know, and she goes out and she sees something out in the road and she saw that it was like a sleeping bag or something and, and she says, oh, my goodness, you know, who left this? And she went and then she realized there was a girl in it and she was dead and then quickly, you know, they found the other little girl, and then, you know, uh, on back toward the woods a little bit more, they found the the third one. And, of course, you know, everyone went into shock. Um, as it turned out, um, I I had, was just leaving, as I was saying, I was moving out to California from Tulsa, but I had been a news reporter there, and as it turned out, my boss, um uh, was a guy named Richard Dowdell, and he immediately rushed out to the scene and, you know, covered the story and ended up being the only journalist that this murder suspect would would speak with on camera. Oh, my Uh, goodness. And he, you know, got so caught up in the story, and he tells me to this day, you know, this was, you know, this was the story of my career. This was the story of a lifetime, you know. And, um, but anyway, so as it turns out, you know, uh, this guy becomes a suspect, uh, this escaped convict named Gene Leroy Hart. But Gene Hart um, was, you know, sort of like, a dichotomy like you guys were saying. He was like, on the one hand, he was a foot local football star, you know, Native American, Oklahoma pride, all that. And on the other hand, you know, he was, he had this dark side. He was obviously, uh, you know, a, a, a an assaulter of, of women and children. So uh, he couldn't have been all that wonderful. But anyway, but... um a lot of people saw him as, you know, the, bra- the Indian brave, you know, being pursued by the jackbooted police officers who just, you know, wanted to get somebody uh, nailed for this crime because it was so horrendous. And the, on the other hand, you know, the, the the Cherokee people, who was a member of the Cherokee Nation, uh, the Cherokees could not believe or accept that one of their own would have committed such a heinous heinous act on small children like this because it ran you know contrary to everything they believe in, so they they just couldn't accept that that one of their own had had done this sort of thing, so it was a it was a big argument argument among families, argument you know uh, among communities. And among journalists, and you know all kinds of things, it was a it was a super big deal, yeah, well, and how hard
2: that was on the victims' families to see that oh, this yeah. guy was being sheltered by the Cherokee Nation and protected yeah. and defended and Here are these their children that are never coming yeah. back so yeah i I mean, how hard was it for them and all the people that felt that gene Hart did this. They felt some yeah. of the law enforcement felt they had enough uh, to have him tried, and they eventually did. But in the meantime, yeah, setting the stage for this, it was one nightmare after another with this cover up for his well, for the fact it he did. Was, it
3: was and the the sort of strange aspects uh, of the case. You know, started right away. As I said, even before. Uh, the murders occurred I know the evening that uh, Denise Milner uh, and the other girls had, had left for camp Denise Milner had a younger sister I think she was like five years old named Kathy I think and she that evening she said to her mother what happens when everybody why does everybody have to die and her mother said, well, we die, you know, and we make room for, you know, new people to come in, you know, when a baby's born, that's a new, a new person coming in. And, and she said, she just, the her daughter just looked at her five-year-old daughter and she said, tonight, everybody's going to die. Mm. And mm. Goodness, her mom, my you God. know, thought that was really weird, but, you know, of course brushed it off and you know, just reassured her that everything was fine. And then, of course, the next day, you know, we find out very, uh, what they did was, you know, of course, they loaded up all the girls uh, on the buses and shot them back over to Broken Arrow, which is a, you know, suburb of Tulsa. All these little girls were from Tulsa. And um, their parents were... Told to go to the church there and wait for them, and they all knew that three were dead, but they didn't know which ones. My God! So can mm. you imagine Herbal. those parents no. mm. standing there, waiting for those buses, and then waiting for the kids to come off, and waiting for mm. your child? It was just crazy, and uh, another interesting little connection that I had, personal connection with the story, was that uh, my sister's uh, best friend, her daughter was in tent number seven, so she was in the mm -hmm. tent right next door, and just, I mean, all over the place, and, you know, of course, with the police officers and the district attorney that handled the case and all that stuff, I knew all those people because of my work. Uh, as a news reporter. So it's like every aspect of this case, it just like, I felt like such a personal personal connection with. Uh, but anyhow, so they uh, ended up uh, conducting this manhunt, you know, for Gene Hart. They couldn't catch him. They couldn't find him. It was the biggest manhunt in Oklahoma history. They had Everything. They brought everything to bear. They had helicopters. They had, you know, state police, county police, uh, local police. They had the, uh, I don't know if they had the FBI. I don't think so, but the OSBI, they had helicopters. They had tracking dogs. They had everything, and they just couldn't catch this guy. One of, really, they brought these dogs out from Pennsylvania that were supposed to be these special special tracking dogs and one by one something happened with them like one just mm-hmm. took off running and got hit by a car in the highway which was totally out of character for these highly trained professionals you know these dogs yeah. you know they just don't do that uh, no they would they also don't. like track they would be on a trail they would track uh the suspect they would get a, a you know, a trail on him and they would just, and then they would end up right in the middle of a meadow and just start going in circles. It was as though he had taken flight. You know, he got lifted up, right. The trail just ended in the middle of uh, of a field. Uh, so they did everything, you know, to try to find this guy, but yet he was turning up at local, you, you know, events like, um, uh,
0: Mm
4: -hmm. I don't
3: know if you know much about Cherokee um, Indian uh, religion or anything like that, but part of their uh, religious practice is the stomp dance. And they would have these Mm -hmm, stomp dances in the woods, and he would show up at these stomp dances and participate. And then he would disappear back into the woods, but they could not catch this guy. So finally... um, one of the uh, the uh, agents decided he was going to go visit a medicine man, and so he went to this man he knew. His uh, last name was Crosland. I can't remember what his first name is or was, but he was a medicine man. He gave them some medicine to put uh, in little medicine bags and wear around their necks, for protection when they were out there looking Mm -hmm. for this guy. And he told them one thing they could do is, you know, walk apart, because if he gets between you and you're both wearing these, he won't be able to see you, either one of you. Uh, And then it will also help you keep on his trail. You know, you pour some of the medicine on the trail and you won't lose the trail. Um, And so very odd things happened while they were out there looking one night the two brothers uh the two Wilkerson brothers, Mike and Dick Wilkerson, decided to just be like two guys out, you know hunting and fishing, camping, and went out in the woods and just to see you know what they could see or what what would happen and they and they, like just about everyone else in Oklahoma, were part Indian, so they were trying to connect you know with that part of themselves mm-hmm. and in order to you know, do what they needed to do to track this killer down of these little girls. So one night they were out there, they were sitting around a campfire and they were taking turns, you know, staying awake. And uh, one of them uh, was asleep. The other one was sitting there and he said he just about was nodding off and out of nowhere came this black, big black cat just screaming out of the darkness and jumped right on his chest. And he said, but as soon as he hit that medicine bag, you know, it's like he screamed and scurried away. But it was just, he said, it was so weird. And we don't really have big black cats in Oklahoma. No, you don't. That's what he said he experienced. And um, when they talked to their medicine man, they said, you know, he said, This suspect, he said, whoever this is, this person has the help of a very powerful medicine man. And Mm -hmm. the officer said, but wait a minute. I thought you could not use the medicine for evil purposes. He said, well, you can, but if you do, you'll die. And he says, the medicine man may not know he's using he may believe gene hart but if gene hart is using the medicine man you know or whoever the suspect is he'll mm-hmm. die and he he conducted this ceremony right there with the guys and he took out this old tobacco that i mean ancient 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 tobacco that they almost never never use any of because it's so precious and so rare but he used this little bit of tobacco, and uh, all I know is it involved moving water and this ancient tobacco. But he didn't, wouldn't share any of the other elements of the uh, of the ceremony. But the, the the ceremony said that whoever killed, you know, whoever committed this crime, stands on the blood of these little girls. Whoever. Uh, Whoever did it, if it's Gene Hart, if it's somebody else, but whoever did it will die. So they went out, they did their thing, they kept looking for him. Uh, one of the agents who, uh, Patricia, I know you'll remember Harvey Pratt. That's was, right, yeah, uh, I do. Yeah, he's Cheyenne Arapahoe. but he also was involved in... Um, In the World Trade Center bombing, uh, he, I believe he did a recreation of one of the perpetrators. Uh, You know, he's an artist as well. And uh, anyway, so Harvey's a very, very interesting and cool guy. He uh, is very much into his Native American heritage. And so one night when they were, they had a, a, a base camp set up. Down near the lake Not far from Camp Scott And They had trailers and everything Mobile phones and all that stuff Back when hardly anyone had a mobile phone It was phones in your car You know that you could get That cost like $100 a second to use I, I had <laughs> one in my car yeah, From the, the video the station new, right. that I work at I got in trouble for using it I know <laughs> But anyway
0: um, They They uh,
3: They were doing their thing, and they were saying, gosh, we just – we need a break. You know, we need a break of some kind. And I guess they looked up and they noticed that Harvey was gone. And uh, they went out looking for him, and he was down by the water, and he was doing a ceremony with some cedar branches. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, think sage is the thing, but where I come from in Oklahoma – They use more cedar than anything, but also some sage. But uh, cedar branches are supposed to be the ultimate. Um, And uh, so anyway, he was, you know, smudging, as it's called, but there they call it smoking yourself. And the two guys walked down, and they said, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'll tell you, but if you laugh, that's it. You know, I'm not telling you another thing. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, no. And so he said, I'm, you know, purifying myself myself. And he says, and I'm sending out this smoke, and this smoke is going to go out, and it's going to land on someone somewhere that can help us. And the guy said, well, can you can you do us too, you know? So they weren't, you know, making fun of it at all. They were all in to, you know, try anything at this point. And they had a lot of respect for Harvey, so they said, sure, let's try anything. So he did them just as he finished, the phone at the mobile camp rang. And it was a man who was a professional photographer who also taught a photography class at the McAllister State Prison in Oklahoma. And what had happened was in their searches for this guy, they found places where he had been staying, caves and things like that. And in one, they found a flashlight, uh, you know, that had plastic over the end and just a little pinhole cut, so that's why the council just saw the dim light in the forest. Right. And they found some other items, and they also found uh, some photographs, or a photograph of a wedding. And so they had actually published Hmm. this picture, in the newspapers and said, can anybody identify, you know, this wedding? And so they get this call from this photographer. He says, I shot that wedding, you know, that's my work, and, you know, it was blah, blah, blah. And he said it ended up the film, at the film class at the the, uh, prison developed the film, and the guy that developed that film was Gene Hart. Oh, and everything. the reason wow. that he took the picture was because the bride looked very, very similar to his estranged wife that he hated. Hmm. And so he that's why they feel he just nicked that one picture. But they tied him hmm. directly to the photograph, directly to the other evidence in the cave, the, the flashlight and some other things Um Anyway, ultimately, they did find him, and where did they find him? They found him at the cabin of the um medicine man that he was using um a right in the Cooks and Hills way in the middle of nowhere I mean you have no idea how dense these woods are back in that area. I mean, you could so get lost so easily. And, um, I mean, just in the middle of nowhere, and when he came, when they got him out of the house, he was wearing a pair of women's glasses, and they were glasses that he stole from one of the tents at Camp Scott that night. So, put him right on the scene, you know, everything, I mean, they really had him dead to rights, they really, really did, uh, but then the trial uh you know came and there was still a lot of uh like i said a lot of division on his guilt or innocence he still had yeah, so the, tri- the help of of everybody sorry he, he had the help yeah, of everybody
2: he i mean had he, the- he had the help of of Sam Pigeon who was still doing medicine Stuff yep. for him and sorcery for him, mm-hmm. and this trial i mean it started in nineteen seventy nine and then all these big time lawyers wanted to represent him, thinking you know they'd get their publicity out of it, so it, yeah. it, it became it became this uh you know this this great way to get famous sure. to be associated. Yeah with this yeah. this nightmare and the, again the the poor parents the poor families that are sitting watching all of it but yeah he they oh, he escaped yeah. for what 10 months after the murder 10 months mm-hmm. oh yeah and he it was, was like flying around ago. the countryside and yeah. living with sam In that same being hidden. area.
3: never left the area never yeah. left the area
2: that's, that's so right crazy. And so thank god for harvey doing that ceremony with the cedar yeah. It brought that man yeah. in with the, about the photos because, really, they did need a break. They were getting nowhere fast with all of this. Yeah. And and I'm sure, I have no doubt in my mind, that Sam Pigeon was doing sorcery so that it would cover him. So people wouldn't find him because, honestly, it makes no sense until you add the sorcery piece of why they didn't find mm-hmm. him sooner. But yeah, you know, I, I
1: mean, they- they're hiding in plain sight. Because yeah, everybody exactly, knew he was, but he was, was also—they uh, didn't see
3: him. Whoops! But he was. I'm sorry, I got some beeping going on here. There you go. So sorry. Anyway, the um, the thing was that it, it was like they they. Now, what it was said, said was that he was, you know, studying um, Indian mysticism. Now, Harvey – i mean, Harvey. Gene Hart was a member of the Katua band of Cherokee Indians and the Katua are known as or are called the original people uh because they still practice the old ways they still you know do a lot of medicine and 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 stomp dance and and all that uh, the the Cherokee nation itself is much more sort of assimilated and but the Katua is more, uh, like the old style, you know, tribe and they do, uh, they're sort of the shaman tribe, you know, of the Cherokees. Uh, so they, okay. That makes sense. They, they have a lot more to do with, with, with that sort of thing. And it was said that he was, you know, studying, uh, medicine, you know, to become a medicine man and, um, that he was able to do things like either, you know, make himself invisible or change, change form. They believed that he could change like into a bird. They thought perhaps he might have been that black cat, you know, that that jumped on them, that sort of thing. But that's mm-hmm. the kind of things. And then, of course, during the trial, there were, you know, it was in the newspapers, I mean, I, you know, that, you know, There were four medicine men, you know, at the courthouse today, you know, doing ceremonies at the four corners of the courthouse. And the, um, you know, the goal was, you know, to make him innocent or to confuse the jury. Um, So even though they had all those elements tied down, and it was... was, then more. Yeah, they...
2: They, they they also had the same m o that he used to kidnap and rape two other pregnant women right he used same yeah, black same kind of kids black tape yep. luckily they got away, yep. but there were such strong oh, those similarities girls, they
3: were so lucky yeah, That's for sure. and, yeah but, but again
2: there was there was a match in terms of actual evidence a match, mm-hmm. and he still got off. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, he didn't get off. Uh, I mean, yeah, he, exactly. He still got off with the girls, but with the uh, with the young women that he jumped in their car. Yeah, cars, he was in jail for that. Know, outside yeah. that mm-hmm. club right. that night. They were so lucky because, of course, he took them out into the woods, you know, assaulted them, tied them up, and then... Um, was going to leave and come back later for more, and they were able to get loose. One of them got loose and got the other one loose, and they got the heck out of there. Thank God. And um, I can't imagine what that experience would have been like. I mm-hmm. had to be, you know they were thinking, to be a this nightmare. is it for me. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. thank God that they had yeah. the strength to get out. But um, this is, again, so troubling, and the only way I can understand it is with the complete use of sorcery, dark sorcery, to protect him. And as you said, you know, having these medicine men coming in to confuse the jury, standing in the four corners areas, you know, doing ceremony for this, this perpetrator, this predator. Yeah. It's, it's really so offensive, the whole thing, that they are uh, that they did this kind that, of thing you know, for him. Do you I feel, feel that they remind you that innocent. they
3: didn't? They, the people didn't really believe that he did it. You know, that's what I uh, believe. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: true. I know they didn't believe it. They didn't yeah. want to believe it because I know I, one I, of the uh, the um, law lawmen that they interviewed, who was Native American, when he first heard about this, and, and he thought of Gene Hart. And he said, "Please don't let this be a Native American who did this." Yeah, and, right. You know, and also he mentioned that they were all scared to death. They brought their bullets to medicine men to be blessed because they were so afraid of the kind of sorcery that was being used. And, again, I think what's so important for people to understand is that this this magic, this sorcery, this witchcraft, whatever you want to call it, is real. It's very real. It's very powerful. And, T.K., you and I were talking earlier today about was he mentally ill. I think you're right when you said he was. And that makes this type of sorcery even more powerful because when you're mentally ill, you have no boundaries in your mind, and this stuff just happens instantaneously. You have instant access to calling upon these these dark energies, these demonic energies. And I think that's what this guy was up to, and then getting all Mm -hmm. this help from other medicine men. So, but in the end, he was, what, jogging around the uh, jail yard? And he was only 34 mm-hmm. when he dropped out of a heart attack. Uh-huh. I think he was oh, 27.
3: Oh, he was 27. Oh, my God.
2: So he was even younger.
3: Incredible. Yeah. And they did a, uh, okay, yeah. So what happened was, you know, uh, he had to be returned to prison because he was still uh had some time to serve for those other crimes, right? And so he got sent back to prison, even though he was acquitted for these crimes. And then uh, it wasn't long after. I think it was, you know, like within a month or you know, very short period of time, he was jogging around the prison yard and just dropped dead. And they did um, an autopsy, and they said he was a perfect. Physical specimen and had no mm-hmm. explanation for why his heart just stopped, and I thought, well, maybe there is an explanation. I uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, agree. I agree with you. I, I, think, think, I think there is there, one. Was maybe from the other side. They were, they were yeah. taking him home. Well, you know, he was, uh, he, he was done that, uh, that ceremony. The ceremony. Oh, mm-hmm. they called it uh, the ceremony of ultimate truth, and that, you know. The ultimate truth is whoever did this act stands on the blood of these three children, mm-hmm. and they, they must die. So uh, that was uh, really, I mean, it was just so fascinating. And there were other things, you know, that, that happened, that you know, smaller things, but things that would just come up constantly that just were mm-hmm. so unusual about this case. The really weird thing was, I want to say, I can't remember, and it's been so long now, but I think there were something like 38 agents on the Bureau of, you know, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigations, mm-hmm. and on the day that Gene Hart was acquitted, 36 of them quit. Oh, my God. Ugh. Including can't my Can't blame producer. them for that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, they said, what's it for? What's it all for? And it really, yeah. it yeah. was like there was one of the guys, uh, I can't remember what his last name was, but he was another guy that was like half Indian. His name was Larry something. He quit and moved down to Florida and lived lived on a boat, you know, for, from, for the next, I don't know. He may still be there. I don't know. But he was one of the first ones on the case. He was there at the autopsies, and it just, it just tore him up. You know, it was so yeah. Because they difficult. knew this guy did it. They knew he did it. Yeah. yeah, they knew this guy did it. They had seen what he did to the little girls. They saw the bodies, and they knew what the little girls had gone through in horrible detail. And it just, he just wasn't playing a nightmare.
1: Yeah, yeah, I bet he was no the
3: justice, same. Yeah. I mean, justice would have probably, you know, helped that out a little bit. You know, if you knew at least you were able to do something, you know, to bring some relief to the parents and the families of those little girls, and I think you would feel like, okay, now I've, you know, gotten them justice, they can rest in peace. But they didn't exactly. get that. So that was, now, you wonder about
1: when he was in prison, all the other prisoners felt towards him because of the big children, and if they had
3: anything to do with the, his end result. I don't think so, uh, because he really wasn't there very long, number one, um, after it happened. He was acquitted of the children. So, you know, what he was back in prison for, I mean, the girls were like, you know, 18 and 19 or something like that that he yeah, was convicted for, those. for. Plus, there was a, <laughs> interestingly, he broke into the apartment of a Tulsa police officer, a, a woman. Oh, he didn't realize she was a police officer, but that's how he ended up getting caught that time because uh, she got the best of him, but. Anyway, yeah, it was... There uh, were
2: also, Renee, there were clues, because I was reading an article where things I had never heard before were uh, talked about. And in this article, they said that there was actually, have you heard this one? There was a note written, and the note said, we are going to kill three children.
3: And then they found... I just read that today. Ah. I had never heard that. Uh, uh, I And I was like, oh, my God, is that, just mm-hmm. mi- you know, misinformation, or is that real? But what they said was, because it was just, I just, what I did was I just Googled Oklahoma Girl Scout murders and looked on Wikipedia just to remind myself of some of the names of people. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> they said there was this note, but they said in the Wikipedia article that that note was brought out in the civil case.
0: Oh, so okay. If
3: that's if that's the case then that must have been true. But honestly, I've never heard anyone ever mention that before. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's not true. But uh, yeah, exactly. Glad well, and by that. Yeah, but and there was something they else number too. One. They, they the the note said they were going to murder coming back to murder three girls in tent number 1. Oh, okay. Which is weird. So he ended up in eight. First of all, how yeah. did they know there would be three girls in a tent, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because all the tents he, had four girls except for number eight.
2: Well, he obviously had access to very powerful sorcery that allowed him great freedom and the ability to do these heinous acts um, and then hide, you know, hide out for ten months before he could be caught. So, you know, that's a lot of power, and again, anybody doesn't think the stuff is real, it's real. and I You know, I was very naive when we first started having uh, some Native American people on the show. Michael Bastien mm-hmm. explained to me, you know, because he was talking about Mad Bear Anderson using, you know, people was using witchcraft in the tribe against Mad Bear, a very famous medicine man. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. What are you talking about, Native Americans using witchcraft? He's like, oh yeah, it's a big thing, and he talked about several events that happened where people sent, you know, bad mojo over to um, mm-hmm. Mad Bear. He, but Mad Bear knew what he was doing. He knew how to handle it and knew how to send it right back to where it came from. But uh, it was that was news to me. So, but dark energy, dark sorcery is not news to me. But hearing like hearing the story and knowing. That this Native American was using that is so awful, so troubling on every level, and that he got away with it in terms of our traditional system of justice, but he didn't get away with it in the end because of the ceremony that was done.
3: Yep. That's right. He didn't get away with anything in the end, but... Mm -mm. It is remarkable that there is now like an upsurge in an interest in the story again. I, it's so weird. I think I told you, uh, you know, you reached out about it, and just before you did, uh, another friend of mine uh, reached out to me. She's an old television colleague of mine, Gina Rubenstein. She's executive produced so many shows. I wouldn't even know what to name, but anyway. She's a wonderful writer and a great executive producer, and I, of course, had told her this story years ago, and she got the bug, you know, and she and I were working on trying to do something with it, and, you know, we ran into some problems with the agents who are also attorneys and stuff like that. It's You know, I mean, I kind of get why they feel such ownership on the story, but it's, it's not really their story. But anyhow, um, the uh, he had just called me and said, you know, I cannot get this thing off my mind, this, this story. She said, do you want to work on it and do something? And I go, I don't even know what to do, you know. But anyway, we were chatting about it, and then you uh, reached out about doing a show on it, and I thought, that's so weird. And I've been noticing on YouTube people have been covering this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all the little crime podcasters and stuff. Yes, that's right. It's all over TikTok.
2: Mm -hmm. And I wonder why. Yeah, and I wonder why, you know, all of a sudden there's this upsurge of interest in this horrible story. I mean, there's got to be, like you were saying, PK, maybe something new will come out about it, but Mm -hmm. there's some reason why we're all circling back to this event. And I really I think that hope happened
3: that too. It's it's like there's also a whole group of young people that don't know about this story, so they're true, hearing true. it for the first time. I mean, you know, I've yeah. been living with it for what 50 years, you know, but yeah. Yeah. they've uh, they're just now hearing it. Uh, what? Oh, Girl Scout camp? Oh my gosh, you know. So I think that may be something but there may be something afoot as well uh,
2: yeah I think there's got to be because of the all of a sudden the I was pattern. contacting you and saying you know we should do something with this and a scripted situation would be great and then I, if I see somebody's calling in about it and um, let me see if yes. she would like to join our conversation because I believe she was a Girl Scout at the time oh my gosh Hi, welcome to the show. Hey there. Hi, this is Kelly. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Kelly. So glad you called in.
4: Well, you know, I really had to, and I've been listening, and I was a Girl Scout at the time. Um, I was 11 years old. I went to Girl Scout camp a lot. You know, my mom was a single mom, and we used to sleep out at camps. Very much like this one The same type of tents, um, mm. Just all the time I remember hearing about it And I was scheduled And I live in Connecticut But to me the distance I didn't know how far away it was And I was terrified mm-hmm. to go to camp And I begged my mother not to go But you know Her being a single mother She was a nurse so she would work all hours of the weekend, and I did end up going. But I tell you, even to this day, nothing has terrified me more than this story.
0: Hmm. Mm.
4: Nothing. I mean, even during the day at camp, and I loved going to camp, I was frightened and terrified every second. And then even... And it, it just, it, it just like, I, I'm still like, God, how did this affect me so much? And nothing affected, it, to this day, nothing affected me more um, than these murders. And then when I saw, um, you know, and whenever it would come up, it's like, I don't want to hear about it. I can't talk about it. I can't look at the pictures. You know, and I'm 56 right. years old now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. But it was, <laughs> in, it, it was just like, um, it, to me, it was just so important that you guys are doing this and bringing a light to it, because the special on Hulu was the first thing I was able to sit through.
2: Yeah, that a, was four about, four sessions of it, four hours, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You know, but they didn't really get into the
4: supernatural part of it. But um and I I still to this day could you know, it's like one of those things that just You know, I really don't even have the words for it. I don't know what the language is for it. But I just know nothing mm-hmm. in my life has ever terrified me quite like this murder. And this and I'm all and I was all the way over in Connecticut. Even as an adult, Patricia, when you guys started did the first radio um, show about this, I couldn't listen to it. I was too afraid. Oh my, my goodness.
2: goodness!
4: And that wow. was just—I think a couple of years ago.
2: Yeah,
4: back you know, in 2018, 2018, I think you yeah. did it. Yep, yep. You know, That's and so I, I just it, yeah, it's like just so such a strange thing, and then hearing about, um, you know, this, like how, you know, how they couldn't catch him, and how he was using this, you know, dark magic, and it it, it is so hard to wrap your mind around, you know, and... and it it that it never really really left me whenever i saw something brought up about it and there hasn't been a lot that's why i think this is so important cuz i think the families especially it, it just were um kind of pu- kind of
2: pushed to the side they definitely were you know? that's absolutely right yeah they were they were not yes, now one, one in of any the of really it.
3: sad things one of the really sad things that happened with the parents was you know I mentioned that my old boss, uh Richard Daldell, was the only uh journalist that uh Jean Hart would allow to uh interview him at the jail after he was arrested, and here was Richard Richard was young too at the time. Uh, b- and so this was like the biggest story of his career. And to this day it still is, even though he had 50 more years of experience. Right. Um, but he went to the jail to interview him and found that he was only uh, allowed to ask him a list of prepared questions that Gene Hart had right. prepared.
0: And wow. <laughs> um,
3: they were things like, what kind of music, do you like you know, and he started to, Ugh, telling it how cares into classical music and oh, read classics and all. Really just trying to, and he had, Richard, my friend, had built a really strong friendship with all the parents uh, of these girls. And once that interview came out that just had Jean Hart smelling like a rose, the uh-huh. families were so disgusted and disappointed in Richard that they cut him off, and it really hurt his feelings a lot. But you no, know, he I understood it. So. But, you know, it was uh, it was yeah. sort of a sad a sad deal. But that reminds me of something you said, PK, about them being kind of a, I don't know if you said narcissist, but you know, like in control and you know all that right. sort of thing. It does really match up with what you were saying. Uh, about his personality. Uh, yeah. He really thought he was smarter than everyone and really yeah. loved to control Better things. than everyone. Yeah.
2: And, Kelly, you, know, Callie, you no, also can... mentioned to me before, uh, when we were talking about uh-huh. a few days ago about this, you were mentioning that on the show, Keeper of the Ashes, That they talked about the fact that um, one of the girls, I'm trying to think which one, God bless her, was tied to a a tree and raped and murdered, and then the tree died, right? Isn't that what you were sharing with me about this thing? Yeah, Yeah. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Yeah, In in that, like, I'm getting chills
4: just um, thinking about that and You know, for me who, you know, I've always been very empathic my whole life. Um, And I remember the first time I saw the Twin Towers in New York City, I was in junior high school. And I remember looking up at them and feeling something completely ominous and scary. Mm. To the point where I even remember what I was wearing that day. And I could never really, and that was in the 80s, you know. And then, you know, similar to this story, you know, it was just like when they talked about the tree dying, I'm just thinking like, wow, we are so connected on levels that we don't even really know, you know. I've
3: I've been looking into life you know, life after death or life after life, uh, just doing a little research into that area recently. And just last night I uh, listened to a man's story who, you know, his big thing was, you know, trees can communicate, you know. And yeah. uh, so now we're talking about this tree, and so it makes sense. You know, it's a, you know, we just don't understand, uh, right. you know, how it works. But, you know, we are connected to every yeah. different thing. That's and for it, you sure. You know, yeah. this,
2: this event, it's, it was shattering. I mean, this event was shattering on so many levels. And when I watched some of this uh, docudrama on Hulu, Keeper of the Ashes, the tree looked shattered. I mean, you look at it. It did. I mean, It looks like part of it blew up or something. and. You it understand looked, it, it because it
3: looked burned.
2: Yes, it looked like and then, it was blackened and burned. Yes, mm-hmm. and I think that
4: mm-hmm. this
2: event, this horrible, horrible, tragic event, has that same effect on our psyches. I mean, that's why we can't we can't look at it. We can't look away from it. It's it's just so shattering on so many levels. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It really is
4: amazing because this has been really the first time I've ever been able to... I, I mean, I can't believe I'm even talking about it, you know, because Good I wondered you. the whole time, <laughs> you know, when I was at camp, um, are the other girls afraid? You know, because it just it wasn't talked about. You know, really? we're just at camp acting like everything's fine. And, again, we didn't know how... You know, where it took place, we just knew it took place. And to me, right. it, that could have been like the next state away or an hour away. I, you know, I didn't know it was in Oklahoma. You know, so it exactly. just to me, it, and there, there's also something, again, it's hard to find the language for it, but knowing that the good medicine man, you know, did that ceremony and you know that that it worked.
0: You yeah,
3: know, yeah. No, okay. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to make anyone think I'm. I'm saying that any of the medicine men, were were necessarily evil. Uh right. right. They were working oh, no. for Gene Hart, I believe they were being used by him. Uh, yeah. In, you know. In the no, I was thinking more the medicine man who did the ceremony
4: with the tobacco and the. Um, and oh, saying yeah, on the blood of yeah. the children,
2: you know, yeah, this right. one will die. Yeah, yeah, that he took him out, which was the it's, right thing to do. Yeah, that, there's that, some, there's something the right thing. about
4: uh, there's something about that, and maybe hopeful is not the right word again. You know, where's the language when you talk about these things? But mm. it's like okay, it did not matter to you know the universe or the great spirit that this happened
1: yeah. you know yes. and
4: I, I, and that i think that was just such a huge help and i hope that you know more and more things come out about this because it it's just so important that so, they be remembered I mean, interesting. and
3: interestingly all those agents you know were either Indian or part Indian, and each and every one of them uh got more in touch with their native roots uh because of this case, mm-hmm. and interestingly kept it up over the years and in fact, um I met Mike Wilkerson, oh, it's probably been you know maybe fifteen years ago now, and he still carries that medicine bag with him everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really? On this case, yep. Yep. And what about Harvey Pratt? Well, Harvey, of course, he never was not in his native roots. Harvey Uh, was, you know, Native American all the way, you know, into his uh, heritage, into the practices and all that, uh, you know, much more so than the other guys. Well, the other guys weren't really at all. But, you know, in, in, you know, like I said, just about everyone in Oklahoma is part Indian, you know, has some someone that's Indian in their family. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's all, uh, you know, kind of organic there. And some of these, like my mother used to, you know, out here in L.A. would send me little, you know, FedEx envelopes full of cedar branches,
0: you know, oh, when,
3: cute. after wow. I moved to wow. California to You know, to burn and uh, and stuff. And it's just, you know, we didn't think anything about it, like, oh, this is a weird ritual or something. It's just like, oh, well, here's your cedar branches. You know, don't forget them. (laughs) 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 Mm Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think, uh, yeah, they very much depended on that uh, help that they got from. From Mr. Crosland, and uh, there well, is and this a, was a time know, you said that that documentary said that it didn't really contain uh, any of the you know spiritual <gasps> right. or metaphysical or mysterious right. aspects of it. Now, right?
4: That's why I called Patricia right away. I'm like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> there's something you got to see. Documentary, but I knew it was there is missing some
1: pieces
3: yeah, yeah. And it was. You're right out there it's very very old uh and you might find it on YouTube. I don't know, but I know that i when I was researching this, oh maybe you know i I would always go back to it sometimes I would get busy on something projects, and then I'd end up always going back to the story and this was one of those times where I was thinking about developing a television series around it uh called Locust Grove which Locust Grove is mm. around, you know where where he lived and um anyway so I was working on 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 that and it, it it's just amazing how things will continue you know to sort of pop up and reveal themselves at strange times but uh
4: yeah I haven't
3: picked this back up again probably in fifteen years. But there oh when when we were doing that we got hold of a copy of that uh video. I think we got it from a library somewhere. We you know we oh, wrote wow. to the library or called the library What what so was the name it, of it? I, I they... was the, it was called Someone Cry for the Children.
2: Oh that's the name of it. Okay. Oh yeah. wow. Oh, wow.
3: Yeah, and then it's also the book, you know, by Mike and Dick Wilkerson. Uh, Someone Cry for the Children does contain all those aspects, all the Native American bits that, you know, apparently this new docudrama didn't didn't have. So the, you know, if you're interested in that aspect, or if any any of the listeners are interested, I'd suggest hunting those down. Yeah, what happened is Mike Mm -hmm. uh,
2: Wilkerson,
3: you know, quit, uh, and he became a producer. And he produced uh, documentaries under his own production company called Barrister Productions because he's a lawyer. Uh, And uh, he never went back to law enforcement. He just worked on films, and um, he made several, and that was was one of them. That was uh, probably the first one that he made. He made some pretty good stuff that didn't get a lot, super lot of attention, but like we hear so much right now about the, uh, you know the the race riots in Tulsa, in nineteen twenty nine, is it is yeah. just now all coming out and all this stuff and, I mean he made right. a documentary on that you know twenty thirty years ago, uh, and. It was amazing and extremely revelatory about how that whole mm-hmm. thing went down. It was crazy. but And then he did one on Lizzie Borden. Uh, and he, he's, you know, done several that were pretty darn good, especially for the time, uh, you know, which was like 20, 30 years ago. But uh, if you're looking for those uh, paranormal aspects you can find those both in the book and in the video that's called Someone Cry for the Children.
4: Uh, Well, thank you for that. And thank you all so much for talking with me, Patricia. Thank you so much. I think this is important work. And it's shifted something in me because I'm telling you, a year ago I couldn't watch this.
2: Wow. Wow.
4: You know, it is, and it's still curious to me as why this affected me so much, but it just did, you know, and, you know, being only 11.
3: Yeah, especially at your age, you were the same age as the girls, basically. Yeah. The Girl Scouts. I mean, what more of a picture of innocence could you draw? Right. You know, I think that's one reason why it had such an impact. Yeah, and it's like what, we thought that innocent. that was
4: our safe place
3: well, and cool. our fun
4: place, mm-hmm. and yeah, that it, would have been it the thought. to get that wake up call so early in life that no, it's not. Yeah, you know, yeah, um, um, was just mind boggling to me,
2: you know. Um, but again, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for calling in, Kelly. You're welcome. I'll talk
4: to you soon, Patricia. Take care, everybody. Good
2: work. Thank you, Kelly. (laughs) Thanks. Thank
3: you. Bye. That's interesting.
1: Isn't that something? I Oklahoma,
3: point of view. I lived
1: a lot in Oklahoma from 59 to 63. Oh, okay. I never had anything to do with what was going on. And the neighbor across the street was a, a Indian chief, and I cannot remember his name. I've been trying to think of his, what uh, uh, group that he belonged to, and I cannot remember to say my soul, but his daughter (laughs) works as a governor in the state of Oklahoma at the time. And it was very interesting because things that they would do periodically, I would never have come from Illinois, what do I know? You know? It's a total different world, but it is absolutely amazing. How what they do, how well it works. Yeah,
2: mm. you know, and a lot of the things I think that uh, really, I guess, put this in perspective for me because I was really upset with all the people that the Native Americans protecting this this predator, but then it was a time in our culture where all of a sudden uh, Native Americans were getting more vocal about being. Mm-hmm. Abused and having land taken away, and you know all of these issues of how badly they've been treated. So unfortunately, this fit right in to oh, yeah. what the whole, they were feeling.
3: Oh yeah, it the Leonard Peltier case, and everything was going on at that time. Yeah, you know the uh, the imprisonment of Leonard Peltier and all that, the sit-ins, the you know the the yeah, protests so he was, and things like that and
2: he was he was saying to himself he was saying i've been racially profiled you know you you picked me out to make yeah, me the scapegoat he was you. using
3: it he was yeah. using it that's for sure you know yeah. it's terrible when he, someone does that because actually those things really do happen you know to some people and it's really uh Horrible for people that really are victimized in such a way because it makes everyone not really take them that seriously. Just, yeah, know, it waters it down. It. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: It it, it just um, makes it so you can't believe it. Yeah, but it was that yeah. time I mean, honestly, in our in our it's culture. It's not a
3: lot different than today. You know, we have people, you know, on all ranges, you know, uh, of the spectrum here that believe one way and another way. And it's like one side just can't see how the other side could believe what they believe and vice versa. Mm -hmm. It's it's very similar. It's, you know, it's like looking at, you know, it's like the whole eyewitness thing. You get, you know, five eyewitnesses to an event or a crime, you're going to get five different stories. You know, it's like it depends on what you, you know, happen to (laughs) pick up on, how you filtered it through your experiences and then there you go. But it's like yeah, it was it was really frustrating to ever hear anyone especially after I did so much research and found out pretty much all there was to know at that time about what went on. There was just no way he wasn't guilty. There was just no way. And yeah. to hear someone argue that he was that he was innocent was so frustrating. But yet, you know, especially through the lens of time, I can look back and see you know what was going on, and even at that time, I knew that you know the Native American community just i mean it was such a horrendous thing, it was so unheard of that they just couldn't believe it would have been one of them yeah one of one of because their own yeah one so against their nature and the way that they teach. So it's like, I get it. It doesn't make it any better, you know. No. I kind of get it.
2: No. But I like what you said the the last time because that does change everything. It's not so much like it is now, but still, yeah, I mean, so painful for the family for so many reasons, and then this right on top of it. So it's, yeah, yeah, I wonder if, if any of these folks that stood up for him, have ever been interviewed after the fact, and if they felt like they were on the wrong team, I would love to know if how they came around to believing the truth instead.
4: There was one. We see that every day, right now. Christina.
3: There was a journalist. Um, I think she was a newspaper reporter or something, and she was totally uh, believed Jean Hart's innocence and. Uh, So when he was acquitted and then he was being transported back to uh, McAllister to the prison to serve out his time for those other crimes, uh, they offered her to ride in the car with him, you know, and interview him on the way back to prison, and she wouldn't do it. Oh, She didn't want to be in the car with him. But yes, she okay, was like so changed so so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh huh. So I wonder what she's doing now. <laughs> I yeah. What she's go home. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder how she frames this heard whole thing. That, yeah, I haven't heard anybody that thinks he's innocent. You know, like after believing that he was guilty, but I haven't yeah. heard anybody go the other and, way. Either. And
2: this was way before we really got a handle on DNA testing. So they were in oh, like yeah. primitive stages with that. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. But it's been done now.
2: Now, did they do DNA I testing? That, and I they, believe
3: they did. They I depended
2: believe. on him? Because I thought that they said they I could only they figure did. out that they couldn't leave him out. I mean, they were able to get other people and say, no, it wasn't this one. They were able to exclude a number of men. But not him. They couldn't exclude him. But then they couldn't say it was him either. Is that
3: that's what I, I was reading about. Did, You know what? I'm going to have to look into that. I, just, I should have done that before we went on. But I know that at the time, what they had was his blood type and the fact that he was a non secretor and which is kind of rare, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. So this person you know the killer you know the evidence that they got from the crime scene was you know matched up to, to that part but then later I thought they did now I'm going to have to look and see because I know there are still people that still think it wasn't him uh, and if the DNA had proved it for sure I don't know how they could say that unless they just thought it was you know, disinfo or something. Yeah, and plus, this
2: guy was a serial perp. I mean, he wouldn't have stopped. And I think that's the other reason why I feel that the medicine man that did this. Yeah, I think the medicine man that did the ceremony to take him out did exactly Mm -hmm. the right thing because he wouldn't have stopped. He would have kept going. Like you said, he was escalating in his crime spree. So, yeah, I mean, (laughs) yeah. It's it's just yep. a terrible thing that he got that far.
3: Yeah, yeah. It was it was really something, and I mean, you know, to through the years, you know, it's it's never really gone away. And then, of course, you know, a number of years ago, I lost my own child, so it's like I really, you know, commiserate with those parents now. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, knowing yeah. what it feels like.
1: To yeah, lose a child, sure.
3: you know, I I lost a child due to illness, not due to you know being horribly attacked and murdered. Uh, right. You know, I mean, a loss is a loss, but I think you know definitely. But one comfort that I have was that you know I feel like my daughter died peacefully. You know. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. they can't have that feeling. You know, they cannot. Oh, no no I mean comfort it's, it's in that way,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean you're, you're right, as like horrible as it is for you, there is peace in that, yeah, peace in her that's passing.
3: right, that's I mean, you take every little thing you can get in those cases, you know, it's like, well, did she suffer no, you know oh okay that, that's that's one good thing, but you know, if I had to wonder like what she was going through, especially right. if it was you know, extreme That fear. would be terrible. I mean, there's nothing yep. worse yep. than you know being terrified. So,
2: yeah, and being that helpless. I mean, this you can't escape. I mean, this guy was so overpowering. I mean, not only was he a, a pretty good sized guy, and these were little girls. They said they were like sixty, seventy mm-hmm. pounds each. Um, there's no way oh, they yeah. could have gotten away from him. And being no. so terrified, but you're right. Thinking about that, it's it's got to be torture for the parents. Yeah. But we do help oh that, like that. You predicted, PK. Something more is coming out, and you also did say something about. Um, the number eight being karmic, because I know we were talking about yeah. why did this happen? You're like, where were the angels to rescue these girls? Or, you know, something fortuitous that could happened that, that would have stopped it. And it didn't happen that way. But you said you know, eight being a karmic number, there might have been some of that at play, too. Well,
1: eight also deals with control and being in charge and the. Be- they were there, but he was in charge. That was the sad part about it. Mm. And There's a tendency eights and fours being karmic, we never know what is totally coming out of this without looking at an entire chart of that. I I think I'd like to take a look at his chart. I should have as you're talking about A couple of things I thought about earlier and didn't do. I should have done his chart to see what possessed him with the situation as it was. Because there's a major thing there between that mother figure, something with the mother and father that did something to him. And I, I right. never was able to totally come up with what the answer was to
2: that. Yeah, well, definitely take mm-hmm. a look at that. And, and we can bring that back around and, and discuss it again, because there is so much to this. This whole story, this whole horrible experience, and we're all obviously talking about it because we're still trying to understand it, and how do you yeah, yeah, digest sure. something like this? How do you integrate it? It's it's just too awful. But again, I, it's like Kelly, you know, being able to watch the docudrama and being able to call in tonight to talk to us, it's part of the healing, I guess, that so we can talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm. So... Hopefully so. there will be
2: more healing coming on the heels of this yeah.
1: thing. I hope so. It be wonderful. doors that we haven't thought about before. I think that's the main thing. Yeah.
2: So, Renee, what are you going to be doing next? Are you coming back to the radio? We all miss you. I
3: am. You know, I've been on hiatus now getting... Toward the end of a of a three month hiatus, but I will be relaunching, and I will definitely be putting out the word when Night Vision Good. Radio is going to be back on the air. So it should be in the just in the next couple of weeks, and so I'm looking so forward please, to that. Can I do a little well bit of dancing know. on the show?
2: Well, let us know so we can announce when you're back and where you're back, so people can find you. Oh, thank you so much. I sure will. Well, and thank you, Renee, so much for coming on the show tonight. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but we so appreciate you being with us, dear friend. So we will be back next week, everybody, with another great show. We've got Richard Gallagher, Dr. Richard Gallagher, psychiatrist, exorcist. You don't want to miss it. We'll talk to you then, and we'll see you next time. Until then, on the Blue Highway, good night.
1: Good night.
0: Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with
1: Supernatural.